This sermon for you is the first sermon. This sermon for me is sermon number seven of this sermon. Because what I'm attempting to do this morning is kind of like the old story. You've likely heard it about the Sunday school class. The teacher comes into her Sunday school classroom. She says, children, I would like you to draw anything from the Bible. Gives them the paper, gives them the crayons, and off they go. So she's coming around. She's checking one little boy. He's drawing the ark and Noah and the animals. It's quite impressive. Very good, very good. She goes around to the next child, and it is Daniel in the lion's den. Got the lions all there, and Daniel's praying, and she encourages him to keep drawing. And then she comes to little Susie, and Susie is just a fireball, and she's going all over the place. And my goodness, Susie, what is it you are drawing? She says, I am drawing God. And the teacher says, well, honey, uh, no one knows what God looks like. And Susie says, they will when I'm done. <laughs> My challenge this morning, that oft-told story, is to present to you the nature and the fullness and the majesty of God in about 25 minutes. So I want you to open your Bibles... Because this morning, the picture that I'm going to give you is not one of something that I've dreamed up, but four pictures from Scripture as we consider and dwell and think about God Almighty. We are in a series called Steadfast, and I think one of the most important and fundamental things is to understand who God is. But that's a process. I was nine or ten years old before I was introduced to God, let alone having a full understanding. But the, the better we understand God, the more it changes everything. Our lives, our worship, it changes us. In fact, I found this quote from theologian D.A. Carson who wrote this, Worship is the proper response of all moral sentient beings to God, ascribing all honor and worth to their creator God precisely because he is worthy and delightfully so. So a proper perspective of God is essential to us because, and I'm going to repeat this phrase often, so often that I hope that you leave here remembering it, who he is impacts profoundly how we are. A proper perspective of God is so important, and we have these pictures in our mind. Perhaps you've heard God referred to as the little man upstairs. I, my grandmother used to say that. I was kind of a neat picture, but, but it so makes God so much smaller than he really is. I don't think grandmother meant anything harmful by that. It was just her way of giving a child a picture. Some of you think of God like a genie in a bottle. I put him on a shelf. I live my life. But occasionally I get in real big trouble, so I need to rub the lamp to see if I can get my wishes some of you think of God as an aloof professor who designed the world and created it and then let it go. 
And he stands at the back of some far corner of the universe watching it all unwind. Some of you, because of a poor example in your father, think of God as an angry, spiteful, punitive man who's always watching and waiting for you to mess up. But who is he, according to the scriptures? As the song says, how do you explain? How do you describe? Well, our words are not enough, so let's think of it in four pictures. I want you to turn first to Exodus chapter 3. Exodus chapter 3 is found in, on page 58, if you don't know where Exodus chapter 3 is. The story is the encounter of Moses with his creator, Exodus 3, 1 through 5. Now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian. He led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. He looked. And behold, a bush was burning, and yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight, why this bush is not burned. And when the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush. Moses. Moses. And he said, Here I am. He said, Do not come near. Take your sandals off your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. And he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. The first way, the first picture that we get is that God is both holy and eternal. We don't have many places that are considered holy anymore. We don't have many times in our life that are considered sacred. We don't have many places in our heart that are considered set apart. But as Moses came to the holy ground, God reminded him of who he is. And how his response should be to remove your sandals. Because where you are is not a common place. A God so holy deserves to be worshipped reverently because, as Moses learned firsthand, he is a fully consuming fire. If you're interested in a New Testament perspective, turn to the book of Hebrews, chapter 12, Hebrews chapter 12, verses 28 and 29. It's page 1,289, if you don't know where Hebrews chapter 12 is. The writer says, Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. How is it that we can have a kingdom that there's no kingdom that I know that's unshakable? But there is one. is an eternal, a spiritual kingdom, the church. And he says, that thus let us offer 
to God, acceptable worship, with reverence and awe. For our God is a consuming fire. The writer of Hebrews would have been referring back to Exodus chapter 3. The the readers would have understood that. Let me ask you a question. Do you worship God with reverence and awe? I use the word awesome in a lot of ways, but probably far from the ways in which they should be used. You know, I, I, I get a new piece of technology and I say, that's awesome. I, I, I hear a new song and I say, that's awesome. Mint chocolate chip milkshake comes out of Chick-fil-A. I say, that's awesome. But these things pale in comparison to the awe that we should have in the presence of Almighty God. Imagine for a moment, Moses, the shepherd, out of what he's been through and how he's been raised and he's shepherding sheep and hanging out with dirty, disgusting, filthy animals and he comes into the presence of a God so awesome that he's afraid to look. May we worship God acceptably. May we keep that sense of awe and reverence because we worship a holy and eternal God. Picture number two, the powerful and caring God. This is a picture found in 1 Kings chapter 19. 1 Kings chapter 19, if we turn over, this is the story of the account of the life of Elijah, the prophet. Page 380, if you don't know where 1 Kings 19 is, page 380, go to 1 Kings 19. Now it's in the context, Elijah's responding in a way that somewhat confuses us. He's overcome the prophets of Baal. He has, he has done a, what we might call a spiritual revival among the hearts of the people. And yet, as so often the case, when God's workers do God's work, the enemy is right there trying to discourage and defeat them. And The enemy seems to be successful because in 1 Kings 19, verse 3, the scripture says, Then he, Elijah, was afraid. Why are you afraid, Elijah? You just just did this mighty work. You should be on a spiritual mountain. But for whatever reason, Elijah seems to be going through some sort of spiritual valley, some some bout with depression, and, and the angel takes care of him. And it says, Then he arose and he ran for his life. And he came to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and left his servant there. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a broom tree. And he asked that he might die, saying, It is enough now, O Lord. Take away my life, for I am no better than my father's. And if you're ever dealt with serious depression, you can identify with Elijah. It's enough, Lord. And he lay down, and he slept under a broom broom tree. And behold, an angel touched him and said to him, Arise and eat. And he looked, and behold, and there was... At his head, a cake baked on hot stones and a jar of water. And 
He ate and drank and lay down again. And the angel of the Lord came second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat. For the journey is too great for you. And he arose and ate and drank and went in the strength of that food 40 days and 40 nights to Horeb, the mount of God. There he came to a cave and he lodged in it. Here's a prophet of God. And he's doing the work of God. But he is exhausted. He is spent. He has given everything that he has. There he came to a cave, and he lodged in it. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him and said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? He said, I've been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. And I, even I only, am left, and they seek my life to take it away. And he said, go out and stand on the mount before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by, and a great and strong wind tore the mountains and broke in pieces the rocks before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, the sound of a low whisper. And when Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in a cloak. And he went out, and he stood at the entrance of the cave. And behold, there came a voice to him. And he said, what are you doing here, Elijah? Elijah had seen the power and the might of God as he licked up the sacrifice on the altar and there was no water left. And, and he had seen the power of God in these mighty works in the wind and the earthquake. But what strikes me is how, how his prophet didn't hear God in the might and the power and the thunder, but in the soft, low whisper. God is so powerful and so mighty and so good, and Elijah knew that. But when Elijah would his lowest point, the almighty, all-powerful, omnipowerful God of heaven and earth came down to his weary, tired, exhausted prophet and gently, like a butterfly landing on your hand, whispered, what are you doing? Here. You see, God is mighty and powerful, but, but those moments when you're just on the verge of breaking, when you are in despair and, and you don't know if you can go much longer, God 
shows himself to be the caring, loving, gentle, merciful father. Again, a a New Testament perspective. And I apologize. I know I've received the criticism that some think my emotion is theatrics. And I try very hard not to get emotional. But when I read these perspectives, it takes a man who is not emotional and doesn't wear his heart on his sleeve and it pierces through something. So I need to ask someone to please retrieve me a handkerchief or a Kleenex or something because the word is undoing me here and I've forgotten my handkerchief. Thank you, Randy. A God so powerful and so caring deserves our fullest trust. Not just in the mountaintops, but in the deepest valleys. For a New Testament perspective, please turn to 1 Peter chapter 5, page 1298. Peter writes, Humble yourselves. Humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God so that at the proper time he may exalt you. Some translations say that he may lift you up. If you've captured this picture, he says, humble yourself under the mighty hand of God. And then he says that he may lift you up in due time. He, he, he shows us that he has us right here. And if you are where Elijah was, I want to remind you to humble yourself under the mighty hand of God that he may and indeed he will lift you up in due time. And then he goes on to say, cast all your anxieties on him. Because, and if you're following along, I hope you write this down, He cares for you. Sometimes we think God is so big that it's impossible that He could know about my problems or even care. And yet, Elijah reminds us that He's big enough for the victories and He gets down on our levels in the valleys, in the times of hardship, In the times where we say, Lord, it is enough. I just want to go to sleep and not wake up. May we remember the powerful and caring God. Picture number three. I'm sorry, I didn't even advance the slides. Picture number three. The glorious and merciful God. We're going to turn to... Book of Isaiah, chapter 6. Seven hundred and thirty-two in the Pew Bible, if you don't know where that is. In the year of the king Isaiah, in the king that Isaiah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple, and above him stood the seraphim, each had six wings. With two he covered his face, and two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. 
And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. And the whole earth is full of His glory. And the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of Him who called. And the house was filled with smoke. And I, this is Isaiah now, Woe is me, I said. For I am lost, for I am a a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. And then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongues from the altar. And he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away, your sin atoned for. We, we, we can't even get the picture. I tried to find the best Google image I could of Isaiah's encounter with an almighty God. And it, just no picture that does it justice. This is the closest one I've found. But, but this vision that Isaiah had, and he got a glimpse into eternity. He got a glimpse into what it looks like. I always say that, that when it comes to the afterlife, the scripture is a lot like the windows in the doors of the entrance to our auditorium. Sometimes you go in there, you're between class, and they haven't dismissed in here yet, and so you get a glimpse inside just to see where they are. I think the Scriptures do that with the afterlife. We just get a glimpse of it. We don't get the whole picture. We just get a glimpse of what it's going to be. But every glimpse that we get is glorious. And majestic. And if we'll just sit in the presence of a holy, glorious, majestic God, we probably respond like Isaiah. I don't belong here. I'm in the wrong place. And God in His mercy atones for our sin. That we can remain in the presence of that holy, perfect, majestic God. It's the story of Scripture. It's the story of the Gospel. A God so glorious deserves to be glorified in our hearts and in our lives. I want you to turn back to the book of 1 Peter. 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter 1, 15 and 16, page 1,295. Paul, or I'm sorry, Peter writes this. No doubt thinking of Isaiah's vision. But as he who called you is holy, may you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy for I am holy. When we get a sense of the holiness of God... It changes our thoughts. It changes our entertainment, the music that we listen to, the things you watch on Netflix. It it should change everything because there's this overwhelming sense of be holy for He is holy. He is holy called you to be holy. Now you're never going to get there. You're never going to get there perfectly. That's why you need Jesus. But it encourages us to be holy in all that we do. We've lost a sense of the holy in our world today. There's nothing holy or sacred. But there's going to be a day when you walk through the door 
and when the glimpse of what you see will be the big picture. May you respond like Isaiah, whoa, whoa, I'm in the wrong place. I'm in the wrong people. God, who is merciful, has atoned for your sin in Christ. And so, as we live in Christ, we hate sin because God's holy. We love what's good because God's holy. We want to be holy because He is holy. Last picture. Picture number four. From the book of Revelation, chapter four. The everlasting God who's worthy of our all. Revelation, very last book of the Bible, page 1314. John gives his vision, his picture, and it's the last one, but it's not the least. It's one of the greatest pictures in Scripture. Revelation chapter 4, starting in verse 4, John describes it this way. After this I looked, and behold, a door standing open in heaven. And the first voice, which I had heard speaking to me like a trumpet, said, come up here and I will show you what must take place after this. And at once I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne stood in heaven, with one seated on the throne. And he who sat there had the appearance of jasper and chameleon, and around the throne was a rainbow that had the appearance of an emerald. And around the throne, 24 thrones, and seated on the thrones were 24 elders, clothed in white garments with golden crowns on their head. From the throne came flashes of lightning and rumbling and peals of thunder. You ever seen a good Kansas thunderstorm? Gets your attention, doesn't it? Well, this is going to be much more than that. And before the throne was burning seven torches of fire, which are the seven spirits of God, and before the throne was like a sea of glass, like crystal. And before the throne, on each side of the throne, are four living creatures, and the living creatures, this is verse 8, the living creatures, each of them with six wings, are full of eyes all around, and day and night they never cease to say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord, God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. Whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to Him who is seated on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before Him who is seated on the throne and worship Him who lives forever and ever. And they cast their crowns before the throne, saying, Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. You see, who he is impacts how we are. A God so eternal should put our temporary lives into proper perspective. The next time you're going through something hard, the next time you're facing a valley, the next time you're at the lowest of low points, I want to invite you into the picture that John gives us to remind you 
that if you'll stay faithful to Jesus in a hundred years, what you're going through will not matter. It will pale in comparison to the glory that awaits you. I want you to be reminded, worthy are you, God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. So let our lives on earth be centered on Him, because they surely will be in eternity. I want to apologize for going long, but I couldn't reduce it any more to these four pictures, that if we'll properly picture God, it will radically change who we are. Because He's holy and eternal, we live with a holy life and an eternal perspective. Because He is powerful and caring, we don't despair, we don't give up when we go through the hard times when we want to hide in a cave and lie down and give up. We know that He is powerful and caring. Because He's glorious and merciful, we live holy lives. And because He is everlasting God, we give Him everything we have. I want to tell you this morning about one who gave everything he had. It was God Almighty, His Son, gave everything He had so that you might know this glorious and awesome God. If you're not in Christ, I want you to know that you, don't, you can't have relationship with God unless you're in Christ Jesus. And if you're ready to, to be in relationship with Him, I want to encourage you to take that first step by being immersed into Christ. We've got the water ready right back here. But that's not the important part. Your heart has to be ready. And you have to be ready to live a new life because He gave it all I'm asking you now, won't you give it all? Won't you give it all up for the one who loves you so dearly? If you need to make that step, I would encourage you this morning, head to the back and speak with one of our shepherds. Or maybe one of these pictures of God has put things in perspective to you. Maybe His holiness has caused you to realize you need to repent. Maybe you realize there are some things in your life that ought not be there. and Like the prayers of our shepherds, they'd be glad to help you with that. Whatever need you would have, if you have one, please head to the back while we sing this final song.